It was midnight down in Sodom, and a cry went up, Get out, Lot! Get out, said the angels, for the Lord is about to rain fire and brimstone on this place. But at that late hour, Lot's words of warning to his sons-in-law seemed like a joke. It was midnight down in Egypt, and a great cry went up, for the Lord had passed through that land. Remember, he passed over Egypt, and as he passed over, he struck down all the firstborn from Pharaoh's house down through every house that was not covered in the blood of the Lamb. It was midnight in the days of Gideon, and a great cry went up, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. The trumpets blew and the jars were smashed and the torches gleamed all around the camp of the Midianites and they were thrown into confusion and defeat. It was midnight in Gaza, the chief of the Philistine cities, and a great cry went up. For they thought that they had locked up the great Israelite champion, Samson, within their gates, but then Samson, like the sun, arose And he took hold of the locked doors and pulled them up and carried the gate of that place all the way to Hebron, leaving them wide open and defenseless. It was midnight in the days of King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, and a great cry went up. The king's prayer for deliverance from Sennacherib and the Assyrian army was answered. Daughter Zion, daughter Jerusalem was spared when the Lord's angel struck down 185,000 of her enemies in a single night. It was midnight in old Babylon, and a great cry went up. For a hand appeared and wrote those terrible words on Babylon's wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. It was midnight when those words appeared, and Daniel told the king just what they meant. You have been weighed in the scales and found wanting. And that very night... The Lord's servant Cyrus took the kingdom from the Babylonians and took it for the Medes and the Persians. But all those midnights, all those late-night deliverances pale, don't they? They all pale in comparison to the midnight of the tomb. In the night, in the middle of the night, when the second day turned to the third at midnight, a great cry went up and the whole earth reeled and rocked. Not Samson, but Jesus arose. And he didn't carry out from that tomb the city gates, but he ripped open the sealed tomb. The whole earth shook and the guards fainted like a dead man. He is risen. Behold, Israel. He who keeps you neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord Jesus is a night owl, do you see? He is a night owl who is just as wide awake at midnight as he is at 8 o'clock in the morning. He never gets tired. He never gets drowsy. He never needs to rest. He never needs to close his eyes. And so, and so he is always awake to your prayers. He is always awake to your needs. And at midnight, at midnight, he will come again. The darkness is as bright as the day for Jesus, and he has another midnight still in store. Once again, the whole earth will reel and rock. Once again, there will be a great cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Behold, he who keeps you neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord Jesus is a night owl, he never gets tired. The question is, do you? It's hard to stay awake. Isn't it? 
I used to think that staying up until midnight on New Year's Eve was an easy thing. Now it's a lot harder. And I think it's a lot harder because, well, I'm more tired than I used to be. I don't have the boundless energy of youth. I also don't have lots of sugar coursing through my veins like children do on New Year's Eve. But it's also harder because what's the point, right? Once you've seen the ball drop a few times, once you've seen it drop 90 times, it kind of loses its luster. It might still be fun, but, you know, so is sleeping. It's hard to stay awake, especially when you're not sure if what's to come is really worth it or not. Make no mistake, it will be worth it. When that last midnight cry goes up, the one that will make all of the other midnight cries seem like whispers, when that last cry comes, here is the bridegroom, go out to meet him, then all of you who are eagerly expecting that day will not be disappointed. Then you will see the Lord for yourself. You will hear his own voice, no longer just that of the messengers. You will see his dazzling body. You will hear his wonderful voice. He who keeps you neither slumbers nor sleeps. The question is, do you? Are you ready for that last midnight call? Jesus tells us this parable so that we would be ready, right? So that we would not be found like those in the world who are drunk, who are asleep. We do not want that last day to come like a a surprise of a thief coming to take something from us, but we want it to come, and it will be a surprise, we want it to come like the surprise of Christmas. When you wake up on Christmas morning and you find that Santa has come and he got me everything that I wanted, it'll be like that except a million times better. (laughs) It'll be like that except a trillion times better for what Jesus comes to bring you no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and it hasn't even entered into the mind of man the good things that the Lord has in store for those who love him. Are you ready for that call? Are you ready to wake up from this world and to cast your eyes on your Jesus? Jesus tells us this parable so that we would be ready. But it is a parable both of promise and of warning. It promises that we will not be disappointed. It promises that those who wait for the Lord will find him, that he will come at midnight. But it's also a parable of warning. For just as many of those virgins who were ready for the Lord Jesus were not. Now notice all the things that are the same in this group of virgins. Ten virgins all went out. Ten of them, all of them virgins, all outwardly the same. All outwardly pure. Ten of those virgins went out to meet them, and all of them took lamps with them. It's not like some had lamps and others didn't. They all had lamps, and they all fell asleep, right? Because apparently this bridegroom waits a rather long time. It's true that we don't know the day or the hour. It's true that we should always be ready. But it's also true that it might be a really long time. We are fascinated, aren't we, with trying to figure out when, with trying to see the events of the world and say, oh, the Euphrates River is drying up. It's going to be next month. It's going to be next year. It's going to be three years from now. Well, it could be. There is nothing that prevents the Lord Jesus from returning, but it could also be 3,000 more years. The Lord Jesus neither slumbers nor sleeps, but he also takes his time. And that taking of time is not because he has forgotten us, but just the opposite. 
The Lord is patient with us to lead us to repentance. He is patient so that fools could become wise. He is patient so that those who have no oil would wake up and say, oh shoot, I should get some of that. It is the kindness of the Lord, the patience of the Lord that opens up time, opens up time for repentance. So much is the same with these virgins, but there is a difference that makes all the difference. What is that difference that makes all the difference between folly and wisdom, between being unprepared and being ready for the Lord Jesus? Well, you heard what Jesus said. The wise took oil. They brought oil with them, and the fools didn't. The difference that makes all the difference is whether you have this oil or whether you don't. The difference that makes all the difference in the world will be one that either brings you into the entrance of the wedding, to the nuptial hall, or will find that door locked and closed in those dreadful words, I don't know who you are. That's an important difference, isn't it? To have that oil is the one thing we might say needful. It is the most important thing. It should be the chief endeavor of our lives. And so the question that we should rightly ask ourselves this morning is, what is he talking about? What is this oil? Where do I get it? When do I get it? How do I carry it with me? So think this morning of oil. It doesn't have to be fancy oil. I'm not talking about 5W30 or whatever else they ask me I want to put in my car. I just tell them standard stuff, right? We're talking about olive oil, right? That's the oil that they put in their lamps in those days, that liquid gold, that liquid light, that oil that Jesus calls in this parable the one thing needful. The difference that will make all the difference is whether you have this oil or not. And of course, what we're speaking of when we speak of oil is what oil has always signified in Scripture. It is the Holy Spirit himself. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord had given his people a special kind of oil. He told them exactly how to make it. And inside the tabernacle, inside the temple, it was the priest's job every day to go in and make sure that there was oil in that big menorah lamp. That oil was to shine out in the tabernacle and in the temple. It was liquid light. It was liquid gold that is heavy, glorious stuff. It was a sign and symbol of the spirit who dwelled with his people. And now Jesus says that oil is not just in the tabernacle. That oil is not just in that temple. That oil is to be in you. You are the tabernacle of the Lord. You are the temple of the Lord. And he makes sure, he is our high priest, who makes sure that his oil is always in the lamps. Make no mistake, the oil that is needed to be a Christian, the oil that is needed to persevere in the Christian life, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who brings us, who brings us faith. The Holy Spirit who brings us love. The Holy Spirit who works in us this glorious hope that St. Paul calls the helmet of our salvation. Now just think of how important that oil is. That oil for those virgins was important because waiting for the bridegroom meant a long time. What Jesus is teaching you today is that the Christian life is not some kind of brief, temporary thing. It's not like the football season that lasts however many games. It's not even like your job, which will last you 40, 
50 years. The Christian life is a long haul kind of a thing. It requires perseverance. It requires knowing that this is not just a temporary fleeting interest. This is not just one of my hobbies that today I'm interested in and next year maybe there will be something better that comes along. That's the nice thing about hobbies, isn't it? They can come and they can go and they make no real difference. So today you enjoy football and next year you enjoy baseball and the year after that you take up knitting and who else knows what else? But these things come and go throughout our lives. The Christian faith is the one thing needful. It is the thing that defines you above and beyond any hobby in this world. It is a long haul kind of a thing. And because it is no passing fad, it is the kind of thing that you put all your eggs into one basket with. Right? That was the mistake of the foolish virgins. They thought, oh yeah, it would be cool to meet the bridegroom someday. Maybe he'll come tomorrow. I'll go out and I'll meet him. And lo and behold, time dragged on. The bridegroom delayed. And all of a sudden, what they thought was right around the corner didn't come. What they thought would quickly be there was not there. You can think of that first generation of Christians, the apostles themselves. Jesus ascends up into heaven and he promises them that one day he will return. And if they were thinking of it wrongly, if they thought that he meant, oh, next month, next week, next year, they would have been sorely mistaken, wouldn't they? Jesus delayed a long, long time. For 40 years, his apostles had to labor in Jerusalem under severe persecution for, from the Jews. It was 40 years until the temple in Jerusalem was ripped down, just like the Lord Jesus said that it would be. And what that first generation of Christians learned is something that every generation of Christians needs to take to heart, that we aren't planning for short-term things. We're playing the long game. And when you play the long game, it is necessary to persevere. It is necessary to know that there's going to be hardships, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be things to endure, but what is coming will be worth it. It will be worth it. It will be worth putting all your eggs into this basket. For when Jesus comes, he is bringing a feast. When Jesus comes, he is bringing the nuptials. When Jesus comes, he wants to have you with him, and you will want to be there too. So do all that you can to stock up on oil. Don't consider the Christian faith and the teaching of the church to be some kind of, you know, temporary passing fad. Oh, that's something I do when my kids are little. Or maybe someday when I retire, then I can pay attention to the words of Jesus. It is the kind of thing that every person, every age, every generation must value above all else. For it will be the difference that makes all the difference. To be wise is to know when and where to get this oil. The difference between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins is not that the foolish virgins were really bad, awful people. Outwardly, they were the same. Outwardly, they looked identical, pure. And we should note here, virginity is a good thing, right? In our day and age, it is the kind of thing that gets, you know, sort of scoffed at. Oh, if you really want to be wise, if you really want to know how things work in the world, then you shouldn't be a virgin. Jesus values this chastity, this purity. But what he is looking for above and beyond outward purity is those who have the inward gift of the Spirit. 
Do you know when and where to get that spirit? Do you know when and where it is that the doors stand wide open? It's 8 o'clock and 1045 on the corner of 21st and Kentucky every Sunday and on every other festival day of the church. Make this place, make this place your dealer for oil. For here the Holy Spirit is given not just once, but again and again and again. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the true gift that comes down from above, is given not once, but over and over again. We want not just a one-time reception of the Spirit, but the ongoing gift of the Holy Spirit. And here in this place, we make it our priority, don't we? If you went out into this community and you asked people, what do you know about St. Paul Lutheran Church? I wonder what they'd say. You should try it sometime and just see. Oh, you guys sell books at the library book sale, right? Good, right. Oh, your congregation, you're Germans, right? Yes, that's true. Guilty as charged. Oh, that congregation, they're old-fashioned. Again, true. Guilty as charged. We wear it proudly. What we want above and beyond all of those things is for people to know that here in this place, the oil of the Holy Spirit flows That here in this place, the words of Jesus come first and foremost. Not just for me as the pastor of this congregation, but in every one of our lives. Just imagine what it would mean if you came into this place and you heard the words of Jesus and then you went out from this place and you said, oh, that was neat, no big deal. You'd be pouring oil out. You'd have a leaky lamp. Don't be like that. That's the mistake of the foolish virgins, to think that it's no big deal, it's just a passing fad. I'll be interested in it for a while, but not for the long haul. Put all your eggs in this basket, dear friends. Put all of your interest, put all of your energy into this congregation. Because here, in this place, it really is that the oil of the Holy Spirit flows freely. Here the gospel is proclaimed, the absolution is pronounced. Here the Lord's Supper is given week after week after week so that foolish virgins may become wise, so that we would not have only an outward show of godliness, but we would have the real thing. Now is the time for stocking up. Sometimes people will wonder, Pastor, do you ever encounter deathbed conversions? And I suppose that sometimes I maybe have, but it's really hard to say. What does the person there really believe? What does the person there really think? Now, of course, it's possible, right? The thief on the cross is a wonderful example of that. But I don't want any of you to set out to be like the thief on the cross. (laughs) Much better is to follow the example of these wise, wise virgins, For what they received from the Lord Jesus is beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's something wonderful kind of hidden in this parable that I want to end on with you this morning. It says that when the Lord comes, they entered into the wedding feast. But see, here's this wonderful thing. In the Greek language, the same word for the wedding ritual and the wedding feast and the wedding chamber is all one word. Do you know what I mean? The ritual, the feast, and the wedding night are all slammed together into one thing. The word is gamos. When Jesus comes, he is bringing to you a gamos. You will not just be onlookers at that 
ritual. You will not just be those who stand around taking pictures of the feast, and you will not just be those who come to the ritual and who come to the feast but have no part in the night. For these wise virgins are the very bride of Christ. And when he comes, when he comes, you want to be part of their company. For when he comes, he will bring with him, he will bring with him joy beyond all knowing. He will bring with him that which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and that which has not entered into the mind of men. So stay awake. Stay awake, you won't be disappointed. Keep oil in your lamps, receive it over and over and over again, so that when that last midnight cry goes up, you may say, at last, I'm ready. Come, Lord Jesus. To him be the glory now and always. Amen.